Our New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 6, starting from verse 20. Then looking up at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you when you are now hungry, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward, in, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from, every, and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also taught them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. 
He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep that uh, reading from Luke open in front of you. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, as we consider this coming season of mission, we pray that for Jesus' sake we would produce good fruit. Amen. Well, my big idea today is how to be a true progressive. (laughs) How to be a true progressive. It's by now virtually a truism to say that the modern era, our contemporary romantic culture, is obsessed with change, with revolution, with progress. As one author put it, between the middle of the 18th and the middle of the 19th centuries, Europe changed so rapidly and radically that one can reasonably speak of a watershed in world history. Those who lived through it were constantly using the word revolution to express their awareness that they were living in exciting times, as in the American Revolution, the French Revolution or the Industrial Revolution. To these, historians have added several others, notably the Agrarian Revolution, the Commercial Revolution, the communications revolution and the consumer revolution. Dramatic upheaval of existing spiritual, philosophical, political or cultural norms has become a defining characteristic of the modern age. And from the perspective of the late 20th and early 21st century, we could add the sexual, technological and financial revolutions to the above list. Now, a necessary part of this script is that one is either for revolution, for progress, or against it, for the conservation of the status quo, or better, the good old days. In this scenario, progressives sit impatiently just below the maximum social power line, and from this vantage point, they are able to decry the abuse of privilege by those above them, and the declare themselves or imagine themselves as the most productive members of the oppressed greater mass. But what about Christians? Where do you see yourself in this? No doubt it's somewhat oversimplified description of modern life. But does progressive revelation mean perpetual revolution? Does always reforming mean that you are perpetually revolting and proud of it? In our reading from Luke this morning, we see the Lord beginning his own movement. And at the same time, we get a glimpse of what it is to be a true progressive. Now, looking back into the context of of Luke 6, we soon become aware that the progress of human history belongs to the one who determines it. True progress is a matter of rightful fulfilment. 
So Jesus said in his first sermon, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 in Nazareth, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now he's quoting there from Isaiah 61. The Son of the Most High does not occupy a side of history, whether right or wrong. He perfects it as the one who announces God's good news and the time of the Lord's favour. It's surprising how mixed people's reactions are to this idea. The people of his own hometown and possibly his wider family try to kill him just at the thought of it. The crowds swarm around him like shoppers on Boxing Day. Evil spirits are drawn to him like sparks to a lightning rod. And the Pharisees, the first century equivalent of the One Nation Party, <laughs> they love to hate him. And we begin Luke 6 with this last group deeply engaged in synagogue rage. There was no Twitter then. They're chasing Jesus through the fields, obsessed over food laws or in an actual synagogue, fuming over Sabbath day labour regulations. And Jesus, for his part, responds with obscure stories about David getting takeaway from the temple, <laughs> preparing us as readers for the eventual challenge to see him as the Messiah of Psalm 110, Yahweh's priestly king who rules the universe. Otherwise, he, ex he exercises the power of the prophets of old, overcoming sickness and deformity. Yet, quite unlike Odin's son and the other Marvel vanilla heroes, the Son of the Most High is almost belligerently informal, defiantly offering just a word, stretch out your hand, to fulfil his mandate to be the one who forgives sins. And then he announces his own new movement by formalising a group around himself, the disciples who are called apostles. And he gathers the throng together on a plain and addresses them somewhere outside Jerusalem in the area of Judea. And it's here that we take up the story. I suggest to you that this morning we see four things about being progressive from what Jesus has to say here. And the first thing we learn about true progressives is that they're blessed if they're rejected by men. Have a look at from verse 20 of Luke chapter 6. Hardly bespoke, although totally retro, the lot of the true progressive is poverty, hunger, weeping and vilification for their identity with the Son of Man. The Lord begins with language that's highly reminiscent of Deuteronomy 27 and 28, the language of blessings and cursings, or more precisely here, blessings and woe. Now, the various blessings and woes are held together by identification with the prophets of old and their relationship with the people. It's pretty simple, really. You're blessed in suffering for the Son of Man. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. So if you suffer for the sake of the Son of Man, it's like the good old days. 
when rebellious Israel rejected the prophets. However, beware of getting a good hearing. Look at verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. That wretched bunch that Jeremiah was always complaining about. You know you're on the right side of history if your audience treats you like they treated the prophets of old. Badly. Now at this point, for the young and restless, it would be easy to develop the martyr complex. To confuse the glory of the revolution with the reality of just being revolting. Like so many alt-right shock jocks telling it like it is. And so we see that the second thing about being a true progressive is that they love their enemies. Look at verse 27 there. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Far from gloating over their vilification in a tempest of self-righteousness, a true progressive actually and self-sacrificially loves those who reject them and prays for those who despise for them. Reddit would have gone out of business way before now, wouldn't it, if that's how people responded to their enemies, loving for them, loving them, praying for them. And notice, though, that the love of a true progressive is not the casual compassion of the bourgeois. Look at verse 31. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Many years ago, I found myself on the PNC executive for a local primary school, tasked with recommending a set of school values. Now, it was early... Uh, 2008 and you may recall that year in April the Prime Minister of Australia formally apologised to the Indigenous population for those events that came to be referred to as the Stolen Generation. So this is what's ringing in the ears of the people of Australia, that the Prime Minister said we're sorry for the way we treated you. So as this little group gathered together we were stewing over what should be the values of our little school. I took the uh, opportunity to suggest that we ought to adopt generosity and forgiveness. Seemed appropriate, considering the time we were living in. But I was shouted down. Shouted down in favour of a more benign and banal compassion. That, that niggling sense that I probably ought to shoot, give something out of my largesse to the marginalised who I otherwise, who are so important for my political identity. Jesus says, love your enemies. Verse 35 there, love your enemies and do what is good. Lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. And look here, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. You see, the golden rule should leave a mark in our flesh. 
a true progressive generously goes in search of the lost, but more, rather than despising those who reject them, the children of the Most High, they're renowned for mercy. And so the third thing we learn about a true progressive is that their self-awareness leads them to forgive rather than to reject. Look at verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The greatest gift a progressive has to give to his or her despisers is the gift of forgiveness that's been given to them by the Lord himself. The love of God in the heart of the progressive means that her self-examination is always in the light of grace. This isn't the cultural narcissism of practice self-loathing, the dark side of our social media selves that trains us to view others through the lens of our Instagram portraits. No, look at verse 41. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and don't notice the log in your own? A true progressive exhibits the generous love fueled by self-examination that scrutinises our inner motives in the light of God's grace. We see ourselves as God sees us graciously and so we see others. A true progressive exhibits that kind of generous love and so Jesus says in verse 45, a good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. And so finally, the fourth thing that we learn about true progressives is that they have a stability that only the Son of Man can provide. Look at verse 47. I'll show you what someone who is like, who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. So much more than the brittle edifice of self-determination and self-actualization, the true progressive rests on a strength that is, the truth is not just an idea, but a person. Amid the chaos of culture wars and identity politics, a true progressive exhibits the unshakable substance of being like Jesus. They have a grace identity, not a self-identity. And consequently, they face rejection and even vilification with a confidence that comes from without, even as it strengthens within. So a genuinely progressive disciple curates an identity guided and governed by the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And he is mighty. As I said, not in the, disappointingly not in the Marvel vanilla superhero style. There's no sparkles on his fingertips. <laughs> he faces down the greatest enemy of humankind by saying, well, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> He's kind when his family reject him. He's patient with an overwhelming crowd that just wants something out of him. And he only ever sharpens his words for those who would seek God without him. <coughs> and so following him 
A true progressive is someone who loves their enemies, scrutinises her motives for the sake of producing fruit with confidence. We're about to embark on a season of mission. And no doubt some of you feel a lot more like Captain Feathersword than Captain Marvel. However, amidst all the walk-up and door-knocking, amidst the endless scripture seminars, kids' clubs and youth groups, whether it's eating meat for Jesus or meeting billets for coffee, we go as true progressives, loving, forgiving and resting in the knowledge that the Son of Man has gone before us and that we're on his side of history. <laughs>